So here's a question for you. So the, the Blasco thing, how often do you publish? We try to publish weekly, but uh, we've been taking a little bit of a break because uh, my partner's actually, he's got a lot going on with his family and stuff. So, um, uh, so I saw you did Belasco in February. Yeah, I we love that guy. We try to do weekly. Yeah, so I'm in the, in the the very beginning of the of the documentary. Belasco's an awesome guy. I want to meet him someday. But uh, yeah, we've talked a couple times. He's a real cool guy, uh, real down to earth. That's you know, and kind of I was I was just telling uh, Jonathan for those listening that uh, that we started the podcast to help promote our local music scene back in the day. But you know what happened? It really didn't work out that way because a lot of the local bands either blew us off, kind of took it as a joke, not a lot, but some. And uh, you know they didn't take it too seriously. And I was like, well, the reason why you guys aren't being or becoming successful is because you're not doing this kind of stuff. You're not promoting the scene. They're just, they, they, you know, there was a little bit of a artistic kind of a little bit of a snobbery going on. So I just started talking to the bigger guys and Blasco was one of the bigger guests that we got out of the, out of the rip. And, uh, he couldn't have been more of a humble guy and just down to earth, you know? And yeah, he's, he's a super cool. He's a super cool guy. Yeah. And that really opened my eyes to that. And, you know, I, and I hope that more musicians can, can get that way you know can can get into a spot of promoting themselves um because there's no shame in that i think they have to do it more now than ever before so especially in rock and roll you know yeah so uh was the film originally called rock is dead um no not really do you want to do an intro or how you want to you want to do it we'll just edit later um it's just me it's just me right now so yeah we kind of edit and do what we need to do so um yeah, yeah I just... no uh the film was basically conceived uh where the produ- my producer gary spivak you know was one of the largest hard rock festival promoters in the country right and um so he you know obviously rock on the range and um uh later sonic temple are his festivals okay so those two were the backdrop uh, or i'm sorry that rock on the range was our initial kickoff where he booked metallica for his 10th anniversary festival right and he and i had worked together with metallica 30 years ago breaking a little song you might have heard of called enter sandman yeah, yeah um at pop radio so we both had the relationship with Metallica's management. And so we said, Hey, we're doing this documentary. We just kind of put it together with, you know, we just basically went for it and decided that we would shoot a bunch of stuff and build a sizzle reel to try to raise some money. Cause we didn't have money. Right. But we knew that if we can get some rock stars in it, you have a better shot of getting money. And that's exactly what happened. So the weekend we went to shoot, the morning we got to Col- night before we got to Columbus, we interviewed a local band called Bear Tooth. Okay. They were our first interview. Um, we basically couldn't find a room to do it, and we did it in this hotel room off the bar, which had like sound kicking in. So we literally climbed up to the roof of the you know the ceiling right. and put and 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 duct taped a sweatshirt over the over the speaker to shut it off because we couldn't get anybody in the building to shut it off. Right. And then when we went to finish it, we pulled it down and ripped the paint off. So it was like our first interview ever <laughs> was local. And then we had to rip, we had to run out of the room quickly. Cause so we didn't get, you know, 
charge to, to put back that paint on the on the ceiling. Well, yeah, and man. then our second interview was supposed to be a guy named Chris Cornell, who you might have heard of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris Cornell died the night before. Oh, my. And so we basically had to – now all of a sudden the thing takes on a whole other meaning, right, right. where – you are not asking, you know, Lars from Metallica, who we lined up the first day, and I forget who else was there. You are not asking them, hey, man, tell us about rock and roll. Isn't rock and roll great? Right. Now it becomes, hey, man, talk about Chris Cornell. Right? So all of a sudden now you have this incredibly raw footage that we just kind of stumbled into. Like literally, it was so fresh. The members of Soundgarden were in Columbus when they woke up and found out at six right. at five a.m. whatever it was that Chris had killed himself in right. Detroit, where their last stop of their tour was, so now all of a sudden you show up at the venue to do your interviews, and there on the door the Soundgarden dressing room it says Soundgarden, like they hadn't even taken it down yet. That's how Ugh. fresh it all was. So basically, that's how we started our film, and it just got crazier and crazier from there. But we built the scissor reel. We pitched it. We got some great feedback. We found a, uh, a private investor who kicked in, you know, 50 grand to start it out. Then I pitched it to another company I was working with for another film I was directing. And they gave us a bunch of money to, to finish it or to not finish it, but to get it going. Right. And then we just started rolling like a, you know, two and a half year project to to get this thing built. Um, and that's how it started. Nice. I have a question right off the bat because I'm always kind of curious about some of the the underlying characters with, within some of sure. these documentaries, and this one kind of moves pretty quickly. But you guys kind of you you really focus on the fan of the festival. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Two people come to mind are Abby and Andrea. Andrea's from Ohio, so I was I kind of got a kick out of that. How did you find the fans, the rock fans in the film, and and how did you pick them to be in the in the movie? Sure, great question. So Gary as his job as a festival promoter, you know, there are actually groups of fans that reach out to him and they want to send him a t-shirt for their crew or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the most active was this group called the party crew and the party crew every year would meet at rock on the range and a couple other festivals. And they would, um, send him t-shirts, you know what I mean? Right. And they'd make up t-shirts for their crew. And so Gary gave me the party crew and the party crew was Andrea, um, out of Columbus, um, uh, Jesse out of West Virginia, uh, Scott out of Kentucky and, um, uh, Mr. G out of Cincinnati. Uh, and they were kind of the core of the party crew. There's a number of others, but yeah. you know, I went and spent time with each of them, met them at the festival. We hung out, did a little interview, and then I went to each of their homes or place of work and kind of got deeper with them. Right. So, and through that, they introduced me. And then, then as I was looking at footage, I saw a couple other people that were of interest, you know, that I thought would be of interest. And that was Abby, who was obviously doing her thing as a one legged dis disabled crowd surfer. Yeah. And the other one was Michelle and her husband who I literally saw in my footage, right. That I took back from my first shoot. Right. And I'm like, wait, is that a woman crowd surfing on top of a man, like standing <laughs> on 
a guy. I was like, I'd never seen that before. I was like, who's that? Right. And Scott from the party crew is like, oh, that's Michelle. She's from New Orleans. She's crazy. I'm like, all right, I want to know her. So Scott, (laughs) he introduced me to Abby and I went to her trailer in Tennessee. And then uh, Michelle, who I interviewed, uh, uh, and her husband, uh, ATN. And they were just great characters who were doing like really interesting stuff uh, out there, you know, in the world. And, you know, the Abby story was great because she had, you know, kids and just she's just a great soul, loves this music. And um, so they became, you know, a big part of our film. Yeah, it was uh, that was very intriguing to me again, because, you know, Ohio, like I said, we we just talked about it a little bit, but Ohio's like a big rock and roll state man i mean we have a oh yeah a ton of history here especially in kent and akron you know cleveland all that stuff so it's uh it's always good it's kind of heartwarming to see and to hear people from ohio getting a little bit of attention from the rock and roll uh community um what i liked about it and you get you guys touched on this pretty pretty well is is about the the the, the girls going to the shows you know and uh a little story, a little backstory, which made me relate to it was my girlfriend and I, we went and saw, she was, a, she's a country fan. She wants to, you know, she wants to go see Kenny Chesney. And I was like, ah, you know, that would that was my first country concert. And I was like, yes, I will do that for you, but you got to go to Slayer. If, right. Right. <laughs> you got to go to Slayer if. with me the next night. And so it was back to back nights. And so the culture could not have been different, man. I mean, you, you, I, it was a culture shock for me because all the girls were in the pavilion singing along to these country songs. And th- it was like 60, 40 guys. You know, it was mostly guys just chasing girls the whole time. You know, we got right. shoved, people yelling, uh, just, you know, it was, it, it got damn near violent. And we, we get out of there. I was like, and she's like, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. I was like, tomorrow's going to be a lot more chill. Watch. It's going to be a lot more respectful. And uh, quite different from that, and it and it absolutely was. It's it's a generational thing. It wasn't just a young crowd, you know. It was dads, moms, grandpas, you know, everybody there all at the same time, and everybody was cool. And I was, I told, I explained it to her. I was like, "There's a pecking order here. The aggression is over in that pit, which you don't get." Right, exactly. The aggression stays in that one area. That's right, and you know, and if it gets out of that area. You're going to be dealt with, but it, it it was never it was never a thing. I mean, it was a nice romantic night up on the hill watching Slayer, which we didn't get for the country show. So, uh, seeing seeing the segment about the girls feeling safe in a crowd of a hundred thousand guys, you know, you know that's accurate. Would you? I mean, right. obviously you agree with that. Yeah, I mean, look for me, I think it's it, we we talk about it when when anything losing lose when it becomes too much of a sausage fest right right and loses the women right it takes on a whole nother level and so you know bands like greta van fleet and you know led zeppelin or whatever the comparisons are you know women need melody they need song unless there's certain headbangers they don't care but um so the ability to bring some of that back and then with people like lizzie hale and hailstorm and maria brinken in this moment and ash and new year's day um, and, um, you know, that really makes a difference because women love seeing, you know, everybody wants to see themselves on stage, whether it's, yeah. you know, white guy, black guy, whatever you want to see yourself in that thing. Oh my God, I can do that. That's cool. I want to do that. Right. And that was a big part of making that piece of the film happen. 
Right. Like the day I, the day I spent with Lizzie Hale, you know, and that fan comes up to her and she'd been saving herself to go to a show, to go to her show. I mean, that like meant a lot yeah. to Lizzie and, to, sure. and for that interaction. So I think that's super important whenever you can, um, you know, see yourself in that in that world. Yeah, yeah, it, it's vindicating, you know. I mean, even as a small yeah. artist, when somebody comes up to you and says that they like what you're doing, it's like, yeah, man, it's, it, it it helps you push forward because I'm sure that lifestyle is tough, and you know, everybody thinks it's glitz and glamour, but it's it's a grind, man. I mean, we talk about oh, it a yeah. lot on this podcast, and it's it's you know, people think that that life's it's it's all always awesome, and it's 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 a grind. It's you know. It's it's 500 mile rides in between shows, you know, and and doesn't matter if you're on a bus or in a van, you know. So when you yep. when you're doing this and somebody comes up to you on a night where, you know, it's a thousand degrees below zero and they're come they're just jacked up to see you, it's uh, it's great, you know. Yeah, it means a lot to them. That was a great. And that's what that's what I love the beauty of the culture, you know, how passionate everybody is about what they do, and they don't get the mainstream looks. They don't get on, you know, morning TV like Rob Zombie talks about. Right. They do it because they love it. They can make a living at it, and the fans can get their therapy slash medicine from it. You know what I mean? To kick out those jams. Absolutely. You want to get in the mosh pit and let it go? You go. You want to crowd surf? Dangerous, but yet, you know, you want to get to sure. the front? You want to do some crazy shit? That's just the way it is, oh, you know? Yeah, man. Or you want to passively lay on the lawn and watch Slayer? can do that too <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the the good life man i mean uh you know it was highlighted at the very beginning with gene simmons comments and he's been taking a shellacking for it but i wish people like him would kind of get on board again you know well he's a dick gene simmons yeah. is a is a master manipulator marketing genius the guy yeah. is a genius you gotta understand my first concert ever 1975 1976 new year's eve kiss Blue Arsa Cult and Leslie West from Mountain. Nice. Never even made it home for the night. Had to sleep in the police station because the <laughs> trains all stopped running on Long Island. Right. I was the only place warm to sleep. Wow. Or sit, I should say. But think about that. 1975, 76, right? Yes. This band is still going in 2001. Right. Like, what are we in? I'm sorry, 2021. Yeah, right. Like, it's miraculous what he has been able to do, the three run circus he's been able to put together marketing with kiss coffins and dolls and it's it's probably i tell people it's probably one of the greatest marketing feats of all time it's definitely to me the greatest marketing feat in music of all time right. like i don't know what touches it so the point is he loves to shake it up and and mix it up and sure. be like that you know what i mean and that's just and again he's not wrong in the sense that it's not a mainstream format it's not a mainstream genre um as we talked about earlier, the more screaming and less melody. I mean, this, these guys wrote songs like Beth, you know what I mean? Like right. They had pop sure. hits. So they've gone to all sides of the fence. But, you know, that's why the genre takes a shellacking because it makes, it, it, in a way, it's self-parodying, right? Sure. You know, all these guys just banging their heads and tattoos and piercings and, you know, screaming. So that stuff's all ripe for satire. Um, Absolutely. As yeah. is all, you know, as is pop music, as is country, whatever. It's all ripe for satire. Right. But this genre in particular, what, what my premise was for the film, 
was just how passionate the fans are about this music. And that's what I wanted to get across. And yeah. then, of course, you run into stuff like you go to a show and you say, wait, these guys like in Columbus, you've been to Rock on the Range, right? Or, or so, um, um, you know, th that festival, right? In Columbus. I, I honestly have not gone to that festival. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that's the dude. That's the thing. It's the most crowd surfing I've ever seen at any festival. Yeah. And. So they bring it like nowhere else. And all of a sudden you see these security guys in the front, like he's working together, like it's a ballet, right? And they're right. a well-oiled machine. And then you talk to the head of security, like, oh yeah, these guys are college football teams. We hire college football teams right. because they know how to work together well. And the offensive linemen can take, defensive linemen can take a hit as, you know, people come in over idea. the barricades in waves. And so I was like, well, that's a thing I never thought of till I got to a concert and I got to this festival and watched it happen. But, you know, yeah, I would, um, I've never gone to that festival. I haven't been to a festival in a while, actually. It's it, I, I go down to Columbus quite a bit. We see shows down there whenever we can. Well, shit, I haven't been down there in a couple of years now because of all this stuff going on. But one thing this documentary did was make me miss shows a lot, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Geez. And by the way, that's the reason we released it on the one year anniversary of the pandemic to give people something who've just been stuck inside and to, you know, make them think that, Hey, there's the, the clouds is going away. And you'll, by the end of the year, by the, you know, August or September, you'll be able to go to shows again, you know? Right. So that's why we released the movie on that uh, one year anniversary. Yeah. It's getting everybody jacked up to do it again. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be back out there. Usually we do this podcast live at shows. So, but we haven't been able to obviously. So, uh, we've been talking to a lot of artists uh, over the last year, and uh, I know it's been a, there's a lot of negativity out there about concerts and shows, and uh, just because they're not happening, and who knows when they're going to happen, because a lot of the smaller clubs have probably closed at this point. But it seems like everybody that I've talked to is like kind of jacked up to get a rock and roll renaissance going, and so I I don't know if that's your view, but I mean, have you talked to anybody? Does any, anybody that you've talked to recently in the rock and roll realm feel that way as well? Oh, I mean, look, you know, Gary, who's been booking and rebooking these shows and canceling these shows, you know, he's got like all these shows lined up for the for September um, and they've been just powering through them. And I think they're selling well and people are ready to go out there and do it. So um, I think it's all about to happen. And hopefully, you know, the problem is with the country, we're such a divided country. People can't figure out they got to get vaccinated or they don't want to for whatever crazy reasons. And so that's going to be interesting to see what happens when you do put 50,000 people in the same space. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The good news is outdoors. Bad news. You still got to go to the bathroom and get food or whatever. And you're going to run right. into people. So you just hope that people just get vaccinated and then, you know, people are still getting COVID on vaccine, you know, being vaccinated. So you just don't really know, but you just hope we're hoping for the best that it's, you know, we're a people of culture, a culture that likes to go out and do stuff and see music. Right. So hopefully we can all get straight. I think I think we're on the mend, man. I think we'll be OK, uh, you know, as far as that goes. But uh, we'll see. You know, uh, hopefully the powers that be will just I, I think eventually just has to start happening no matter what. You know, yeah, we're just going to have exactly to do the thing. I mean, we can't stay indoors forever, you know, but um you had some characters in this in this movie. I was very curious about why John Cassett showed up in it because that you know. Dude, he was talk just... about your a. Hey, you talk about how your state likes to rock. I mean, your former <laughs> governor, you know, uh, he um, 
you know, he's an interesting cat in the sense he's a deep Republican dude, always has been. <clears throat> right. But, you know, he's not the Trump kind of Republican. And he, he spoke out very against him, um, which I appreciated because I think, you know, again, I have no problem with Republican. I have, I have a problem with people who are bigots and a problem who are people who are racist and just don't represent the country well. But Kasich, you know, to me, uh, he's an interesting cat. And in like, he just likes to rock like. He's got two kids who go to the festival, right? Right. He's based in Columbus when he was the governor. Right. And um, he loves bands like Live and the Chili Peppers and has relationships with them. So they come to town to play at that festival that Gary did. You know, he shows up. And so he showed up. And a guy that Gary worked with or knew knew him. And I said, look, I'd love to get this guy for 15 minutes. And just talk about music with him. I don't need to talk about politics. Right. You know, I'm not interested in that. It's just right. all about the music. And he was super cool. Uh, I couldn't have been any happier. And he had a great couple of quotes and lines, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or public. If the music catches you, that's right. it. And that's what rock and roll is, man. Before there was any politics or anything, it's like music is our politics. Music is our religion. You know, that's the thing that brings people together. And nobody talks about what they're you know, their religion is or their politics. And, and that's why to wear hats that your shirts say one way or the other politically. So that gets people on that tip is not what you want at a show. Right. You know what I mean? To want to just put your metallic shirt on like, yo dude, yeah. that's my band. Yo right. Slayer dude, that's my band. Right. You know, I think it, that's uh, the religion, that's the politic. And that's what we need. Absolutely. I, I agree completely as, as far as, it, you know, as far as being divided, I mean, maybe on the TV, you know, but I think when it gets down to being out on the street, I think people get along mostly pretty well, especially in especially in the rock world. We kind of have no choice because it is smaller than sure. uh, than perceived for sure. So and in, in, in that regard, I mean, I th that's the that's the power of music and as a healer, you know. And that's the real healer. Yeah. It's not going to be a politician in any facet, really. Often they divide us more than ever, so... That's a that's a good point. It's time, you know, to go to those shows and and forget. It's escapism, and you know, Rob Zombie kind of is a, is a prime example of that. You know, that's his whole point. It's like, no, this is a rock and roll show. You forget forget the other stuff. It's it doesn't have to be as real as you think it is. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we already talked a little bit about Chris Cornell, but um, you know. It, I thought the another good point or a good part of the film rather was having Dr. Drew on and talking about uh, the drug addiction of you mm, know yep. um, in, in the rock community, but it, you know musicians, artists, a, a lot of that. I mean, I've seen a lot of it in my personal life too. I've I've never fell to that trap, but I mean, I've had band members pass away from overdoses and stuff like that, and it's we've it's always been a, a conversation we've been having on here, and and you know Cornell was. Uh, it was it was devastating. I mean, I was just taught, you know, we for posterity's sake, you know, uh, for the folks listening, this is a couple of days after the fourth anniversary of uh, Cornell's passing. So they, I thought it was really important to bring that up because you know, there's this mentality of there is still a kind of like a lingering old school mentality of like, what the hell was this guy's problem? You know, he had all everything perceived everything you know and it, 
you know, I, we, we, we have this constant discussion where it's like, it's not that easy and it's not that black and white. It's actually very difficult when you're having some kind of mental problem, especially being in the, in the limelight like that. The most important part, which we've talked about this a lot, is that you guys talked about in the film was the uh, benzodiazepine. The, mm. uh, the yeah, the Drew, psych- Drew was Drew was super aggro on that point, and yeah, I'll just right. tell you a really in- interesting Drew story. So when we went to interview Drew, we got a call from our friend who was. Soundgarden's manager and he said listen what's going on with this movie and I said well here's what it is and he said well you know Chris's widow is very sensitive right right and I was like yeah and by the way this is like I don't know five months after the fact I forget I I could tell you exactly but I don't remember now it was it was literally my wife's father passed away Right. And so she was estranged from him and we had to decide whether to go or not. And I said, look, let's take the high road and go. And um, so literally I took this phone call in the funeral home after the funeral, before the reception from Chris Cornell's wife. And I think Dr. Drew was on the call too. And Chris's manager explaining to what we wanted Drew to talk about. And it was obvious that they, she was so, freaked out because that you know that these drugs this combination of drugs took her husband from her and obviously he had his own suicidal thoughts but the combination of drugs makes you so not think clearly that you do something like that you hang yourself from a back of a bathroom door right when you you're in the middle of a tour you have a family you have a wife you have kids life is great but you have these demons and the stuff and the wrong drugs can exacerbate a situation and that's obviously what happened to him. So I thought Drew did a really good job about talking about that because doctors do prescribe both things. And, right. and you know, and it's like, wait, how can that happen? Because it does. Right. Oh, all does it happen? Yeah. So I, I thought that he did a really good job on, on t- talking about that. And uh, it was, I'll never forget that. I mean, you basically hearing Chris's widow cry while you're at a funeral home as you're, wife's father passed away like i'll never forget that that's a brutal day man yeah man we talked to go ahead go ahead no no go ahead well i didn't talk to vicky but i i think i posted something about wanting the new soundgarden album to come out and she jumped on the tweet and then a bunch of people jumped on and just kind of piled on her twitter's good for that kind of stuff and i was like it, it got out of control like really quick i'd like to have her on sometime if she would come on and talk right. and talk more about her experience with him because it, it, there's there's like these conspiracy theorists that are just jumping on this train you know about her and i'm like whoa whoa, whoa. i tried i tried to keep it under control i was like no 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 we're we're just talking yeah, about I mean, this the new fact that the record. band yeah the fact that the band and her are suing each other for unclaimed masters and money and you know i saw i heard a little bit about that i just like yeah, it's, it's just sad it's, it's not sad that that has it's sad, sad that that has to happen and there's obviously a lot of stuff we don't even know about you know it, yeah but uh, going back to the point it was a it was a good thing that you guys put that in there because uh you know it, it's real talk i mean and going back to the fact that that life is hard and if you have something going on already it doesn't matter how much money you're making I mean, if you're on those damn drugs, you know, they cause all kinds of problems. And, you know, they cause a lot of the mass shooters to do what they did. 
And, uh, you know, it's an issue we need to we need to bring more to light and talk about more openly, you know. So that was probably the most important part of the film for me, you know, personally, uh, you know. Not well, to- yeah, I mean, especially because you said you had bandmates die of overdoses. Like, yeah, that's heavy. And yeah, that affects awful. everybody, but not only the family, but a band because a band is a family, really. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's and, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, the movie never started out to do anything about drugs. Right. And even after those Cornell interviews I talked about, we still weren't going to go there. And then all of a sudden we're, we're lining up last interviews. We're like, who's in L.A.? We haven't gotten. Oh, Chester Bennington. OK, cool. Yeah, we know his manager. Let's get that done. We, you know, we'll get ready. We make that call he's like yeah we could do something absolutely bang chester kills himself right so it's like okay we're not 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 doing this so i went back and i looked at some of the footage and g's wife if you remember that interview the school teacher talks about losing a mother and two brothers from both opioid and heroin right yeah and and that's when i called you know harold from the grammy um from music cares and jeff jampole who's a great counselor and um we put them in the movie and we built a whole 10 minute segment about this and dorothy you know if you know that artist was yeah, an I interesting do. story because dorothy we'd interviewed the year before i rock on the range right right when we went back a year later gary ran into her and she's like yeah i don't really remember that i was drinking a lot then <laughs> oh, no. but i'm sober now and gary's like hey why don't you do another interview and talk about it so all of a sudden, she and I start talking about it. I talk about my best friend who's been an alcoholic for the last 10 years back in and out. And, you know, we both start crying in the interview. Right. Um, and it was super poignant because it hits everybody and everybody's got a friend or relative or whatever that's had issues or past. And so that segment was really important to the film. It slows down the vibe of the film. Sure. Right. But But it's important. So we wanted to make sure we didn't, you know, not gloss over that and made a made a meal of it because it is so important. Right. No, it's 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 a very it's a very smooth moving and very kind of fast paced documentary. It's very very watchable, very good. Um, well, thank you. I, you 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 covered uh, the multitude of subjects within that little genre. You know, and it, uh, again, it, they're all important, and uh, it's it's very it's a very good film. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, the music obviously is a big part of it. You know, you had to have the rights to, you know, Metallica. Sure. And then, like I said, you know, they wanted to do the pop approach. Uh, they wanted to do the uh, uh, Michelle and her husband wanted to do the um, battle, the uh, the bubble battle. To yeah. Papa Roach crying like a bitch. So, yeah, you know, you had to get these songs. Uh, God smack. And then, you know, Papa Roach has that great performance with the. um with a marching band and then, um, you know, the crowd surfing, they, um, the crowd surfing couple wanted to go up to five finger death punch song. So like I had to get that song and, right. you know, before you know it, you got to you're licensing eight to 10 songs, but, um, it might be a good segue to bring in, um, the kids from satellite city who helped out, uh, okay. with the film. So hold on one second. I'm sure. Get them. guys on the air what's up what's up we're here hey say hi to Bo and the uh rock savages podcast hey what's up guys how's it going man nice to be on thanks for having us no problem thank you for having us tell us a little bit about the band uh 
sorry. Can you say that one more time? Tell us a little bit Our about the band. Are... Oh, the band. Yeah, we're we're a hard rock band. We're from LA. We've been uh, making music since like 2015, and um, yeah, we met John and and uh, we wanted to put some songs in the film, and so we worked together, and it was just really awesome being a part of it. Yeah, I saw them. A friend recommended them. I went to see them at the um, Sunset Boulevard. What's the place called? Johnny Depp's former spot is called Viper, Viper Room. Room. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I had you know I had a composer um, who was great for certain things, and then I had another guy who was adding music. But I needed some more like rock songs, and because as we spoke about Bo. You know, my budget got tight, because, oh, yeah. you know, for your licensing. I ended up with two Metallicas, Papa Roach, you know, Shine Down, <laughs> um, you know, Greta Van Fleet, right? So I had all the big food groups knocked off. I still needed some music. And so I saw these guys' music, and I like the fact that, you know, Anna is a drummer, but she's also a singer. And so I wanted some more female energy in the film. We had a scene in particular where the Coopers who are in the band Skillet, who basically are a Christian rock band, but they live on the road pretty much in a bus right? Uh, for more than half the year. And there was a scene where I wanted to have, a, but I couldn't really afford another, you know, uh, full on licensed song from Atlantic records or whatever. So I asked these kids to come up with a song and they brought me the song getaway, which plays in the uh, in that scene where they're signing autographs and stuff, and you, you okay. see a day in the life of their world in a montage, and then that worked so well. I asked them to do a couple compositions, instrumental compositions as background, um, and then end title too. They ended up with the, the instrumental in the in the in the end, right? In, in, instrumental, or do we use? I forget. We use vocal on the end or no? Use instrumental. Uh, right? I think it was instrumental. Yeah, the end credits. Yeah, because we have those right? bloop. We have those bloopers where uh, everybody's trying to talk about because we do this thing called a virtual release. Right. So as opposed to signing a piece of paper, you basically just do it on camera so that I have it on my camera. I, I can't possibly lose that piece of paper. Right. Um, so they so they did some instrumental work for that. And uh, it was just good to have them as collaborator, collaborators on the film. Uh, and that was, was that your first film, guys, having songs in a movie? Uh, it was. It wasn't the first. We've had some music in another documentary before, but I think we had a. It was a documentary on PBS. Um, we had like an Armenian genocide song that we wrote, and um, that was the topic of the film. So, mm -hmm. uh, filmmakers decided to use that one. But Long Live Rock was the second film, and we're super grateful uh, that we met John, and um, super thankful that he put like five of our songs in one of these giant uh, rock documentaries. Um, right there with Metallica, baby. You had more right. songs than Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's really good. It's a really good thing for more. I don't know if you guys are independent, but it's for, for the more the smaller bands to to actually license out to movies and shows, like we were kind of talking about earlier, where there's like this this uh, you know pretentious kind of attitude among a lot of artists that they're not going to license their stuff out. I was like, no, guys, you got to do that stuff if you have the opportunity, you know. It just helps everything out, and it helps get more people to see it, or, or hear it, rather, and see it if it's a video, you know. So, uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I watched the I watched the video for the, the song Empath, I think. Yeah, it was Empath. Yep. And, and uh, mm -hmm. I noticed that you guys are just a two-piece. Do you, do you guys tour, or are you just a studio project? I mean, yeah, we definitely toured uh, pre-COVID. Um, yeah, right. We've we've only toured up and down California right now. Okay. Um, 
we hit some cool cities out, I think in 2018, 2019, we played the NAM show as well, which was really fun. Um, and yeah, actually we're talking to some venues right now to get the ball rolling again, uh, potentially have our album release show in September. Um, we're trying for the Troubadour, so fingers crossed. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice little kickoff there at the Troubadour. Yeah. Um, another question for you. As you are a two-piece, yeah. I know uh, several two-piece bands. Um, do you guys tour as a two-piece, or do you do you take a bass player out with you? Uh, we actually um, have a bass player and a guitar player. Um, they dress up as astronauts. This sounds like a joke, but it's totally not a joke. <laughs> uh, they dress up in full like astronaut uniforms, and they join us on stage. That's great. Um, <laughs> we've like we've created a whole world around them. They're called. Spacewalkers. Okay. And we have a comic, a uh, graphic novel that we're working on that's about kind of like their origin story. But uh, yeah, they're anonymous. Uh, we rotate the players, and and it just helps us get that full sound on stage. Because like in the studio, we have bass, we have like doubled guitars, and we just want. We might even add a third one, honestly, just to have like keys on stage and right. get that full sound. As much as we love like white stripes and black keys, and I, right. I never really wanted that sound on stage. I right. just kind of wanted the full hard rock sound. Right. Uh, that's just how I grew up listening to live music, and I thought that would be cool. Yeah, it can sound cool, but uh, I mean, even the black keys, they have ba- a bass player live now. So and you know what? Oh, do they? That's awesome. Yeah, they usually do a full band now. At least uh, that's how I understand it. They're from our town, Akron, so we've got to see them a lot back in the day. So, but yeah, a lot of a lot of oh, two piece cool. bands do that, or they'll they'll uh, they'll play the bass and the guitar at the same time. Do you do you sing and play drums? All, I do throughout yeah. the whole show, or do you, do you have another drummer help you out with that and, and sing part time? Because that's got to be a lot. I mean, I'm a drummer too, but I mean, I can barely talk and play. So singing and, and playing at the same time is, is a you know yeah, an alien world for me. It's definitely tiring. No, we I do it for the whole show. Sean will do backup vocals with me, but uh, yeah, I'm singing lead and drumming the whole time. So I try to write drum parts that uh, kind of complement the vocals and vice right. versa, just so I can be able to like play and breathe and then obviously after each song i i need like i need Sean to take <laughs> over sometimes because I, I need to catch my breath sometimes mid-song i'll just take a look over at anna and see if she's out of breath or not but she's, she's going strong <laughs> i i think i think we had a good flow going last year or or in 2019 and um just playing so many shows we got pretty tight and uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how we we are now getting back into it towards the end of the year. Right. It always takes usually a show or two to kind of kick back in, especially after such a long break. I feel you guys, man. I feel I feel the pain, man. We're we're trying to get back <laughs> on stage soon too, so I understand it. So, well, uh, okay. So what's uh, by the way? Uh, what what? I'm sorry, but what was your group called? Uh, well, I'm in two bands. I'm I'm in a, a new band with no name because we we've been writing for the last year. Uh, you know, old school friends of mine, which is coming along nicely. It's uh, sort of like all them witches, if you've heard that band. You know, kind of psych yeah, rock. They're right. Yeah, they're one of our favorite bands, so we're kind of working on that. And then I'm in another band called Burn Blue Sky. Currently on hiatus as well, but you can, that's all on YouTube if you guys want to check that out and all of our listeners know that. So what I want to do is, uh, what do you guys want to promote as far as a song and, uh, give us the album title that's coming out and when it's coming out, man. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so we just dropped our single uh, called Empath for Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, it means a lot to both of us because sure. we both struggled in the past. Um, and uh, our album is going to be called Fear Tactics, and it is going to be out in September of this year. Okay. Uh, well, maybe we'll hook back up uh, closer to that date and, and have another chat, man. We'll just go for it again. If you guys have got any shows in Ohio, let me know. And we'll uh, We'll definitely promote that for you. Would love to, man. Would love Ohio after visiting uh, for Sonic Temple. So right, definitely. yeah. So I uh, did. I I didn't go to that one, right? You guys went to Sonic Temple once, right? Or did I uh, go with you once? No, you were there, John. That was I did go, right? Yeah. Right. We shot. Oh yeah, right. So so Bo, check the story out. So we basically, you know, before there was a pandemic, there were movie theaters, and we <laughs> made a deal with Red Bull. No, I'm sorry, Monster. My bad. Uh, who's a sponsor of the film? Right. And they sponsored this premiere in Columbus at an AMC and poured uh, monster beverages there. And we had a screening <laughs> with the radio station, the Blitz okay. in Columbus, which right. is a great, great rock station. Right. And they were in the movie. You know, if you remember, Gary goes and talks to them about Chris Cornell dying and who's going to be the headliner. And right. They were a great partner on the film. But they, uh, Ronnie, who's the music director of Midday Jock, hosted the screening and you guys are in the room, right? And like, you, you can attest, uh, seeing this movie with a real rock audience, with a real sound system. And the movie wasn't even uh, probably half as good as it is now. Right. Cause we, that was like a year and a half ago, whatever, two years ago, we tweaked it, made it a lot better. Right. Um, it was just one of the thrills of my life to see a movie. I direct to see people responding and interacting to it and jumping up and, you know, banging their head and, you know, pounding their fist. Um, and so that was a memory I'll never forget. And, and those guys got to experience, you know, being at the festival um, along with us hanging out in, Col in uh, Columbus. It was fun. Yeah. yeah at the theater, honestly, it felt like an Avengers movie, you know, like right. just the whole audience was just into it, passionate, just yelling at random times. Uh, I, it was awesome, you know, like, right. you, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a highlight. And, and, and that is the sad part of this. The happy part is we got it done, we put it out, but to put something out virtually like this, which is a live experience, right. much like a movie theater can be a live experience with the right movie and the right crowd. Right. And if they're all jacked up on monster energy, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I just am bummed that I didn't get more of that. You know, I played one festival in Eastern Europe and Estonia. Um, which is a town that loves to rock, uh, not as much as Columbus. You know, they're a little more reserved at a film festival. Right. But, you know, those were my two great memories about screening this movie on the big screen. And, you know, normally a life like this, this would play 10 music, I'm sorry, film festivals. And, you know, you do a bunch of screenings out there in the world. And we just had to make the decision that we couldn't sit on the movie any longer. Right. You There's know, a lot people, of people, bands were already like, yeah, bands are already like two albums, you know, removed from you know because we've been shooting for three years right right so uh that was a, a you know that was a plus and a minus for me of being able to see it in the big screen but being sad that i couldn't see a lot of it you know on the big screen 
Yeah, that's got to be a, a drag. It's a drag for everyone that that had albums that were going to come out and they got to sit on them. Like you said, they're all coming out now. I mean, I'm listening to a band called King Buffalo now, which you, if you guys like all them witches, you should definitely check them out. But they uh, they're re- re- they're releasing three albums this year alone. They're like, you know what? We're doing it all this year. You know, so going back to the <laughs> rock and roll renaissance kind of comment I said earlier, that's kind of been our theme lately. That might be a good side effect of all of this is there's going to be a lot of new rock and roll coming out soon. So hopefully that's the case. Do you know if there's going to be a Sonic Temple Festival this year or Rock on the Range? Uh, I mean, they are building up. They just announced like three more festivals. I forget which ones. I can't even keep track. Yeah, they of keep the changing the name. Well, no, they changed that one. They had some politics on that. But, you know, Aftershock Festival is out here in Sacramento in October. Okay. And I think Carolina Rebellion, I just saw they, they announced. and uh, Louder Than Life is happening. Louder Than Life, right. Louder Than Life in Louisville is happening. They just keep them coming. Right on. Sounds good. Okay, well, uh, it's good talking to you guys in, in Satellite City. Uh, where can we find the movie, Jonathan? Sure. So the movie's available to rent at um, longliverockmovie.com. Um, if you want to stream it, it's on a platform, uh, which is an Amazon platform called Coda, which is a brand new um, curated music documentary service that's started by the Hendrix estate and John Lennon's estate. And, you know, for four ninety nine a month, you can kind of get all you can eat. Uh, great music docs that are curated uh, to get up on that site. Also on June 1st and 10 days from now, we'll be up on iTunes. So you can rent the movie on iTunes. So there's many, many ways to watch the movie at this point. And uh, I highly recommend it for anybody that likes this music or just wants to get a look at what they think this culture is. Because as I tell people, you know, this is a classic case of you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, People, you know, get off put by, the hair, the tattoos, the headbang, and the moshing, the crowd surfing. But you meet people like, you know, Sean is a super long-haired, bearded dude who just couldn't be any sweeter. Right. And uh, that was my impression of all these musicians in this movie and everybody we dealt with. It couldn't be any, they couldn't be any better, kinder, great people who just like to rock, you know what I mean? Yeah, you hit it right on the head there, guys. I mean, you guys, you know, we all know. Just, uh, it's good to... Try and get more people to get invited and come on in. You know, it's a, it's a good culture, like you said. So uh, it's a, this is a great film to highlight that. And uh, any rock fan that watches it will probably really appreciate it. If you guys ever come through Ohio, let me know, man. And we'll come out and we'll do a live podcast. I think we're going to start doing live podcasts as soon as everything opens up for real. So um, that's in the works. So we'd love to talk to you in person and uh, just keep in touch. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having us, and uh, keep the rock flowing. Will um, do. And, uh, yeah, just spread the word. And when you get this podcast done, we'll post it up on our site um, and do that also. Beautiful. I'll, uh, I'll definitely be in touch soon. Nice talk right, with guys. you, man. Take it Thanks easy. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.